Why do we give things up for Lent? That's the big question around Lent. What are you giving up this year? What are you giving up for Lent? Are you giving up chocolate? Are you giving up cake? (laughs) Sometimes people scoff at the idea, and I've noticed a trend in recent years of people suggesting, well, instead of giving things up for Lent, you should look for something extra to do. You should add things to your life, add things like prayer or add things like serving the poor. And, and this is not a new idea. You know, the church has always taught us that our Lenten fasting, our Lenten sacrifices should be accompanied by prayer and by almsgiving or charitable works. But all of these things involve giving something up. Right? Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, all of them involve making sacrifices. So when we fast, we're, we're making a sacrifice of food, we're fasting from food, or we might choose to sacrifice by giving up some other material comfort that we enjoy, like video games or Instagram or something like that. But if we spend time in prayer, that's also a sacrifice, because that time that we spend in prayer is time that we could be spending doing something else. We could spend that time on ourselves, doing something that we enjoy. And to help the poor means making a sacrifice of your money or other material goods that you could have used for yourself. So prayer, fasting, almsgiving, all of these involve giving something up. They're all different forms of sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice lies at the heart of every true religion, every real religion throughout history. And we see this in Judaism. It goes back to the very beginning with the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. And what made Abel's sacrifice more worthy than Cain's was Abel was giving his best. Abel gave his first fruits. God never tells his people Israel, give to me your leftovers. Give to me the things that you don't really need anyway. He says, give me your first fruits. Give me that unblemished, perfect lamb. God wants our best. He wants us to give our best to him. Now, we don't make sacrificial offerings of lambs anymore. That's not what God demands from us. But in truth, Jesus demands more from us not less from us, because Jesus doesn't say, give me your lambs, give me your goats. He says, give me yourself. Give me your life. If you think about it, offering a lamb every now and then in the temple is a lot easier compared to what our Lord is asking us to give. So why does God want our sacrifices anyway? I mean, it's not for his good. He doesn't need these things. He doesn't need our sacrifice. He's perfect. He has everything that he needs. So it must be for our good that we offer these sacrifices. And I can think of a few reasons why that would be so. The first is gratitude. Gratitude. Giving things back to God reminds us that everything that we have comes from God. So our first reading in Deuteronomy, the Israelites are bringing to the altar the first fruits of the soil of the land that God gave them. And they're doing that so that they can remember that it was God who brought them to this land out of Egypt. 
So they bring that first fruits of their produce and they lay them before the altar and they bow down in God's presence. It's an act of thanksgiving. Giving the very best of what we have back to God, including ourselves, the best of ourselves, is a way of saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, for these blessings. Gratitude is just as much at the heart of true religion as is sacrifice. In fact, they're related. So if you still haven't decided what you might want to give up for Lent this year, may I suggest you can offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Find ten things every day to say thank you for. Another reason that we offer sacrifice is to express that interior sacrifice of spirit that God calls us to give. Because when we give up our possessions or when we give up our time, it symbolizes that we're giving up part of ourselves. We're giving up our selfishness, our ego, our pride. And Jesus shows us what this looks like in his 40 days in the desert when he was tempted by the devil. All of the things that the devil tempted him with were something that he wanted, something that he had to deny himself to say no to. The devil tempted him, turn this stone into bread. He was fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. He was hungry. He wanted food. That's why our text doesn't just say he fasted for 40 days. It specifically says he was hungry. He would have enjoyed a meal. And he had the power to do it. It was there within his hands. But that was not the will of his father. And so he denied his hunger. And he said, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That was a sacrifice. The devil tempted him to prove his divinity by throwing himself from the highest tower on the temple and letting the angels rescue him. If you're the son of God, do that. Throw yourself off the temple, let the angels rescue you, then everybody will see that you're God. Can you imagine that? Jesus flying around Jerusalem, right? (laughs) Who wouldn't believe in him? I want to follow that guy. That would have made it easier for people to believe in him. But that wasn't the Father's plan. The Father's plan was not to have Jesus demonstrate his divinity by how the angels saved him from death. The Father's plan was for Jesus to die and demonstrate his divinity by coming back from death, taking the sting out of death for us. So what Satan was really tempting Jesus with was Here's a way that it seems like you can achieve the Father's plan for you, you know, demonstrate your divinity, but you don't have to die. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to worry about all that cross business. Don't you think that was tempting? If I were shown a way that it looked like I could achieve God's plan for my life, but I wouldn't have to suffer at all, it'd be very tempting. But Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth and said, you can have all of these if you worship me. And didn't Jesus come to establish a kingdom? Isn't that what Jesus wanted? It's the same thing. Here, you can have this kingdom. You can have all the kingdoms of the earth. No need for the cross. No need for the sacrifice. 
The crown that I am offering you has no thorns on it. You just have to serve me instead of serving the Father. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God alone. Him alone will you serve. To resist that kind of temptation is a sacrifice because you have to sacrifice your desires. You have to sacrifice what you want, what seems good, what seems like the easy way to do the will of God. This is something important that we have to understand about temptation. Being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is something all of us struggle with. Jesus was tempted, but Jesus did not sin. The temptation is an invitation to sin, but it's also an opportunity for us to be resolute in our faith, an opportunity for us to say no to sin and to say yes to God. So when, we're, when temptation comes along, when we're tempted, there's three things that happen. Number one is we receive that invitation, right? We have the opportunity to sin presented before us. Number two, we feel a certain way about it. Now, maybe you're repulsed by the idea, or maybe that temptation holds no attraction to you. Good, right? Good. Then you're less likely to fall into sin. But if it does, and then if you say yes, if you put that into action, that's when you sin. So temptation can lead to sin. But the temptation itself is not a sin. It's an opportunity. Maybe the temptation is presenting itself as something that's appealing. Maybe there's something about that invitation that we find attractive. You can imagine a a married man out traveling alone, and after he finishes his dinner by himself in the diner, the attractive young waitress writes her phone number on the receipt. He has no intention to commit adultery, but he's flattered. He says, ooh, I've still got it. That temptation has a little appeal to him. It makes it harder to resist. Or you can imagine you're the pastor of a, of a very vibrant, but a very poor congregation. And your congregation has a lot of need. And your people give what they can to the offertory basket, but they only have so much. And there's so much need in your community that you can't meet. And you try, and you do what you can, but there's so much unmet need there. And meanwhile, the church is falling apart because you can't afford to to put any money into maintaining it, and the roof is leaking, and that's going to be expensive, and you're worried that if things persist this way, you're just going to have to shut the doors and close down, and then what will your people do? And then along comes a politician. He's very friendly, very charismatic, wants to help you out, and he says, I'll write you a check today for a million dollars to spend however you want it on your congregation. Fix the church roof, buy a new organ, open up a food pantry to help your people. All I want you to do is give me a public endorsement, including of the policies that I'm advocating for that go against the moral teachings of your church. You think that's not tempting? To have everything that you want right there in front of you, and yet you know you can't take that. That requires a sacrifice, an interior sacrifice of your will to say no. The only way that you can really say no to something like that that you really want is if you know that you're saying yes 
to something better. If you, like Jesus, can say, not my will, but thy will be done. This is why we sacrifice little things during Lent. If you can't give up cake for 40 days, I'm picking on Father Paul because he likes cake. It's a struggle, Father Paul, I know. But if you can't give up cake for 40 days, how are you going to give up these your, yourself? How are you going to give up your will? How are you going to give everything over to God? All of these things that Satan tempts Jesus with appeared to be good things. And the things that Satan tempts us with will appear to be good things because the devil's smart, right? He's going to tempt us with things that we want. And saying no is a sacrifice. We sacrifice our own ego, our own pride, our own desires because we know that we're not God. And this is another aspect of true religion. All true religion also teaches humility. It teaches you to recognize there is a God and I'm not him. I am not God. You and I are not God. Our ways are not the best ways. They're not the highest ways. We trust in God's ways. And there's a third reason that we offer sacrifices that's unique to Christianity, and it's this. Our little sacrifices that we offer unite us with the eternal sacrifice of Christ, that sacrifice offered by God himself. I said it at the beginning of this homily, that God no longer asks for us to give him cereal offerings or unblemished lambs. What he asks us to give him is ourself. And that's a high price, but God's not asking us to give him anything that he is not willing to give us. He sacrifices himself for us. Christ gave himself up entirely for us. And when we freely give up something of ourselves out of love for Christ, then we're united with his sacrifice. Our sacrifices make us more like Jesus. And that's the whole point of the Christian religion, isn't it? To be like Jesus. Our sacrifices help us do that. God is love, and love means giving of yourself. And because God is love, he gives himself. He makes that sacrifice of himself to others, and he does this perfectly. He does this internally within himself in the life of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, giving themselves so completely to the others that they actually share in the same being. And he does this externally, outside of himself, by giving life to all creation. And to that part of creation that he made in his own image, that's you and I, he gives supernatural life. He gives his grace. There's a reason that we use the same word to describe love and sacrifice. That word is passion. And Jesus shows us how love and sacrifice are united in his passion on the cross. During this season of Lent, we're reminded that all of the sacrifices that we make, the ones that we have to make that we don't ask for, but that we must endure, and the little ones that we make voluntarily during this time of Lent or any other time of our lives, all of these sacrifices that we make are a participation in the sacrifice of Christ 
if we make them with love. And that's why there are no small sacrifices if you make them in love. Because Jesus will take them and make them part of his big sacrifice for us on the cross. That eternal sacrifice that shows us how much love our God has for us.